0: Uh, please, uh, how many of you have uh, found yourself in the clutch of a lawyer one time or another? Oh, my God, please, give me that, give me that uh, I'm in the clutch of a lawyer music, please. Oh. oh, God, wouldn't life be fantastic if there were no more lawyers tomorrow morning? I mean, I, I'd like to, I'd be the first, the absolute first to volunteer to head a telethon called Stamp Out Lawyers. You know, 24-hour telethon. We get Jerry Lewis, you know, we get Dean Martin, all the stars at a telethon saying, call this number now, you know. Raise a giant fund to uh, put all lawyers in the world out to pasture. <laughs> Buy them all a Carvel's franchise or something. Get rid of them, you know. Please, oh, God. Thank you. I'll reset that. I'm going to use that. That, the, that this lawyer, this lawyer listens to me. You want to hear something funny. This lawyer listens to me. See, and he says, listen, he says, uh, he says, I, uh, as a lawyer, he says, I read the contemporary uh, journals, you know, the constant uh, journals of uh, law proceedings all over the country. He says, I read this regularly. And uh, he says, I also read it for literary pearls. He says, perhaps, Shepard, you are not aware of the levels of eloquence to which the legal mind can ascend while occasionally rhapsodizing during the course of a trial. Now, for those of you who, whose legal background is limited exclusively to watching Perry Mason, and uh, I would have to suggest that this is the truth of many people, <laughs> listen to this great, course, this great case. Now, here it is. He sends me a photostatic copy of, uh, of a page from the official legal journal, and this journal happens to be the a uh, uh, latest copy of contemporary commercial law, which is a very official journal. there it is the case. All right. okay, this is a case that deals with a uh, this is a case that deals with an errant grinder. Now uh, you all know what a grinder is. You don't know what a grinder is Well, I use the New York term then. Do you know what a, a sub submarine is? a sandwich? You know what a hero is? Well, a grinder is also a hero. You know that in different parts of the country. Well, here's a lawsuit about a, about a sub or a grinder. You know, a hero. It's uh, this law case with Scanlon versus Foodcrafts, Inc. It occurred in Connecticut. The plaintiff seeks to recover damages because of injuries suffered by him as a result of parcel consumption of food sold to him by the defendant. At lunchtime on June 12, 1962, the plaintiff, who uh, lives in West Hartford, bought a cellophane-wrapped, quote, grinder from a cart vendor selling his goods outside the plant where the plaintiff worked. All right, this is a guy that's serving... a, in a, a set. He's serving a, 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 a subpoena, in other words, on a guy that is... Uh, Operating pushcart, right? (laughs) Now, do you want to hear what the case is? If we pay regard to the testimony and to the common knowledge, respecting the subject, a grinder may tersely be described, this is in the law journal, as a gustatory extravaganza of regal dimensions and savor. It consists of an elongated roll or a small loaf, either hard-crusted or soft, split longitudinally and filled with an imaginative assortment of meats, condiments, and vegetables. By an edible colloquialism, the word grinder is accepted as descriptive of the lacerated condition of the contents of the (laughs) roll. This is the legal mind. It has no anthropomorphic meaning suggestive to the grinder's own violent tendencies toward an unwary consumer. The plaintiff was fond of grinders and often ate them for lunch to gratify his taste and satisfy his hunger. On June 12th, the plaintiff took his first bite of the grinder, and he felt a sharp, sudden pain and discovered that an incisor tooth had broken and cut his gum. The pain and bleeding lasted for about an hour. Two of his friends with whom he'd been eating and who testified witnessed that what had happened, and they examined the broken tooth and the grinder all of them found the grinder to be hard inside as well as on the exterior. And they complained to the management of the pushcart. Well, now... (laughs) Now is when the law case begins. Can you imagine Perry Mason taking on the defense of the pushcart man? Well, uh, he did. Uh, And it says that the... That the defendant disclaims liability, and he claims that the food sold was his ordinary standards. And what occurred was the result of the weakness of the plaintiff's tooth, and not due to the hardness of the of the grinder. And he went on to rhapsodize. He buttressed his defense by emphasizing that a grinder roll, considered quite reputable in the food business, always has a crusty exterior. And the particular role in this case was not in any way different from the roles that technology were fit for all the purposes and free from all defects. It was a good role. And so the case the case went almost a month before it was finally settled. And who do you think lost? Well, yeah. who do you think lost? Nope, I'll let you think about that. The plaintiff lost? You believe that, do you? Well, you may be right, but you're not. <laughs> now, here's what his lawyer said. You want to hear the great, the great phrase of his lawyer? He's quoted here. It says, To the cognizant scorning the pabulum of the soft blow, would you please give me a little music? This is, this is the defendant's lawyer. <clears throat> This is the Perry Mason of the submarine world. He gets up and he says to the cognoscenti, scorning the problem of the soft roll, the hard roll seems to be the only kind fit for the worthy human grinder and human consumption. No doubt it offers, among other things to those endowed with good dental equipment, a welcome challenge to accomplish an ardent mastication. It would seem to enhance the pleasure of eating by imparting a sense of triumph if you've actually bitten the roll in a task nobly done. The plaintiff, however, makes no pretense to being numbered among the aliens. In fact, he simply says that whether stale or not, the grinder to him was just too hard. And it busted his tooth, and he's bugged about it. And then the lawyer took the stand again said that this shows that he should not have been eating grinders in the first place, because the grinder is a cognizant item, that only the connoisseur of grinders should appreciate the hard, crispiness of the roll, and the biting antagonism of the grinder itself to being eaten is all part of the grinder's mistake. After one month of argument along this line, the judge banged his hammer on on the platform and he said that... Look, the guy did not have a weak tooth. Two hundred dollar fine. Don't serve no concrete grinders anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to sit in on a, cor- on, a, on a suit like that. You know? Would you please reset that? Well, now wait a minute. Now I'm gonna, uh, you know, everybody, everybody has his own favorite, uh, uh, favorite food, food terrible stories. But I, I, I must say that I, I, and I shouldn't do this on a, on a Friday night. I know. And uh, I'm going to warn you. I have saved this story till late. So it won't be long before it's midnight. And uh, I, I did this for purposely. I hope that, that we've separated the chief from the goats. But one of the truly traumatic experiences of my life. And this is not a remembrance. So don't I say, oh, oh, says, There's nothing with remembrances. Uh, it, it, when a guy is lying on a couch. And uh, the, uh, the psychiatrist finally unearths this juicy nugget. And the guy says, yeah, yeah, that's true. Why I do. Huh? Is he indulging in reminiscences? Is he being nostalgic? No. We're just merely discussing the true life existence that we all go through. Each one of us in our time, and we, most of us cleverly erase these things as we go. Some you never quite erase, but you rarely bring to mind the really bad things that have happened to you. The the bad, unexpected things that have really happened that, uh, that are deeply buried down in our own private storehouse of useless garbage, stuff that our life would have been much better off without. All right? It happened in a June, just like the June we're living in. I, I, I've long since, many, many years, I've had this theory. And you can correct me if you don't believe this theory, Bill. You can, you can argue with me, Jerry. I've long had the feeling that the truly bad stuff, stuff that really impresses you as being bad, are things that occur when all the indications were pointing in the opposite direction. Was when things looked absolutely like it was going to be fantastic and a total fiasco occurred, that really got you. I mean, I think this... Well, I think this is actually what Nixon is going through right now at this point. He has just won the election. I I'm mean, really, by the biggest fantastic... And now all of this. Now... <laughs> so that makes it twice as rotten. Well... It was June. I was about 16. Now, when you're 16, when you're roughly 15, 16, and 17, particularly when you're 16 on up as a male, you get an almost pathological interest in the opposite sex. I speak from experience. This is not hearsay evidence. You agree, Bill? Bill? Do you agree with that, Jerry? Yes, indeed. Now, those who will deny this, and there are some among us who will, I'm sure, those who deny this, I suspect, have other problems, which are beyond the scope of tonight's course, right? But under normal circumstances, the male of 16 is literally a human... He's a a walking cake of human yeast. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm telling you uh, Fantastic uh, uh, hot currents flow through the blood Like, like, uh, uh, like uh, you just wouldn't believe Now, I'm, I don't know whether this is true of girls I don't know I can only speak from the male standpoint And I'm not being a male chauvinist I'm merely being a male realist This is a very different thing That the male at one point And he retains it to a lesser or greater degree throughout his life The constant interest in the other sex. Now, it is not necessarily, and don't be, don't make it too too simple. It's not necessarily as an object of sex either. It's a whole complex thing. Do you agree with that, gentlemen? Anybody who just says, "Well, it's he's making you a sex object," does not realize what that means. It does not necessarily mean sexual object. It means that the whole mystique of the girl. Girls have 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 a. it's it's a different uh, different ball game, you know, and, and, and uh, you're drawn to it, you're, you're 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 fascinated by it. You form theories in your mind about it. It is occasionally even discussed back in the garage. Uh, <laughs> rumors float among the among the males of one type or another. And no matter how uh, specific the information or knowledge gained. That may be through lectures, through films, and that still has nothing to do with the real thing. I mean, you can study warfare all you want, but the first time you get shot at, that's another ballgame. Whole new kettle of fish. So I was about 16. It was June, warm, beautiful, fantastic day. Oh. And for about a month, I have had this... A, 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 almost an uncontrollable urge to walk back and forth in front of this girl's house, to, to catch glimpses of this particular girl, and to you know she, she was always just just out of reach. She was always seen in the middle distance somewhere, and she was magnificent. That first of all had a sensational figure. I mean, the kind of she she I'm serious. The kind that makes Sophia Loren look like a brownie. You know that kind. She really, and at 16, it was it was eerie, you know. Women, uh, girls, really mature much earlier, as you know, than males. Well, she was, let's put it this way, she was the real thing. She was the true article, blonde. I mean, magnificent. Well, the only way I could figure I could get close to this girl was uh, was to get to know her brother. See, I knew her brother, sort of, uh, you know, he was just a guy down at the other end of this block there, and never had much to do with him. He was about a year older than I was, you know, one of those guys. So I got, you know, I, I, I began to hang around this guy at every and all opportunity. He, w- you know, he would be down at the bowling alley, or I'd see him at the at the Shell station, or and I'd start to, start to cling to this guy, see. Well, you know, we got sort of kind of, one, one, one thing led to the next. Next thing you know, I am down in his basement with him. He comes ah, oh, come on down to the house, you know. Well, now this is what I wanted to see. I wanted to get into this house where this girl was. Because I figured the closer I got to her, the better chance I had of finally achieving my goal, which was incidentally very, very uh, un, 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 amorphous. Just to be there, you know, just, to, just to date or talk to her, anything. See, just, so I'm hanging around down in the basement of this guy's house, slowly trying to work my way up to the upper high, the side of the house where she was. Well, A couple of days go by of this this campaign, and I finally got to know her. And we were sitting in the kitchen there, me and this guy, Johnny Anderson, having a sandwich when she came in. And she said uh, she wanted to have a sandwich. So the next thing you know, I'm having a sandwich with this fantastic girl, whose uh, name, for the purpose of argument, was Dorothy. Dorothy Anderson. Swedish, remote Pristine, icy, magnificent, carved from alabaster. You know, a, a true Swedish beauty. You know that kind. You know that that kind of uh, Ingrid Bergman type look. You know, just absolutely. Wow, uh, oh, wow. Well, a couple of days go by, and I'm hanging around their house every day. We're talking, and I finally got around to asking her for a date. I said, I'm to Going on a date. She says, that would be nice. Where would we go? Well, I don't know. I'll I'll, uh, figure out something. I'll get, you know, I'll I'll get the old man's car and uh, we'll go on a date. How about uh, next weekend? Fine. Well, I go back home after that fantastic moment of, of success. I have a date. Now, you're going to find this is connected with food and in a very evil way. I go back home, and the old man is in the house, and I, say, I brought up the subject, you know, renting getting a car, doing something, you know, how can I cut the law or something like that? Can I buy the car? He says, You want the car for the weekend? Is that what you want? I said, Yeah. So why don't you ask? You know, the simple solution rarely occurs to you. Uh, I was trying to get a sneakily... He says, hey, yeah, you can have it. What do you want it, Saturday or Sunday? I said, uh, Saturday or Sunday? That did not occurred to me. Either. It Saturday or Sunday? Uh, how about uh, Saturday? That's a good day. He says, fine. You'd be sure you get it back, though, because, uh, you know, uh, I don't like you driving around 2 o'clock in the morning out there in that car. So I said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going on a picnic or something, you know, we're going to go out. So I get that can of Simon eyes, and by Tuesday, for the following Saturday, I had that baby with already six coats of Simon on. I'm clean in the car. all oh, man, fantastic. I get that thing shined. And so Friday morning arrives. I'm getting more and more excited. I'm trying to figure out where we're going to go. And then I got an idea. Now, how this happened, I, it doesn't matter. They had a panda. Now, do you know, you know the all the excitement about pandas? Well, there was a zoo outside of Chicago, a big zoo out there. That was the first zoo in the country that had a panda, and and I can even remember the name of the panda because everybody in the country was out there was looking at this panda, and that was a great big fantastic thing to go and see the panda. And this was an outdoor zoo, a big outdoor zoo where the animals were not kept in cages, but they were kept in like uh, moats and all that kind of stuff, you know. And and more than that, it was a ride far out in the country. It was not in the city, so this was a fantastic date. So I, 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 I called Dorothy up, and I said, Dorothy, uh, how about going, uh, you're all set Saturday? She says yes, yes, of course. Very remote girl. Yes. Uh, I said, her, well, I've got an idea where we, where we can go. Uh, would you like to go see the panda out at the Brookfield Zoo? Yes. That sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. Yes. You know, the kind of girl that never tells you whether it's, <laughs> yes, you know that type, Phil, right? Yes. So, you know, I was, at that point, grasping at straws. I mean, I was really, really uh, trying to make it sound like uh, it was going to be a fantastic day and at the same time thinking that she thought so, too. Till so the next day, the car is shiny. I've got, you know, I've got my new uh, sports shirt on my new hip slacks that I got all, oh, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really doing it all. So I drive over to her house, and pick her up, and she comes down from the steps there, and oh, I, you know, it was, it was already I was starting to sweat, just, just being with this girl. She gets in, and, and I'm sitting on my side of the car, and we start driving out in the country, and it's warm, it's a beautiful day, and we drive and drive, and we're going through towns and stuff and and I'm trying to make conversation and I notice, I glance down at the, at the gas gauge this is what my Achilles heel was we are now down to about a quarter of a tank and this baby, this Pontiac the old man had, was known as a gas guzzler, par excellence, this baby you could hear drinking gas in the garage at night when the car was turned off you could hear it slopping at the you know at the at the chute there. so I figured I better stop for gas. It's hot, oh, it's steaming, aren't they? So I drive into this gas station. now, I've got uh, you know, I've got a couple of bucks. I figured you know I'm gonna buy a little gas, and so I walk up to the kid, you know, I drive in the car and there's a kid operating a pump, and I get out of the car, and I didn't see it's very embarrassing to say out of the window of the car, give me seventy five cents worth of gas, you know. So I get out of the car, and I try to get the guy behind the car before, you know, he opens up the gas tank, and he says, uh, fill it up. And I say, oh, no, 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 Now give me six bits worth. Oh, all right. Heat is booming down. And at that point, somebody else drives into the into the gas station. He says, wait, I'll be right with you. He goes over to a real customer, and it's getting hotter than hell. The heat is banging down. And I figure I'm going to be a real big-timer, see. And that, uh, so I walk over to this Coke machine. It just said Coke. Now wait a minute, I'm not talking about Coke. You think it's going to be Coke? coke, It's not Coke. And it was, it was just a big box that Coke on the side. And I opened it up. There's ice and there's about 500 different types of bottles of pop, a pop of one kind or another. See? So I, I call out the to Dorothy and say, "Hey Dorothy, do you want the, how about something to drink?" And she says, "No." Well, I'm committed, see, so i got to buy one. So I I reach in and I grab a bottle of this stuff, see. I pick some orange, some jazz, and I take it out, it's dripping. See, and I open it up and I start drinking it, see. Oh, God, it was hot, but it it tasted cold and great. You know, I take another big slug of it. Oh, wow. And I go casually over and I lean on the door window of the car and I say, you know, this is really a great day right over here. you know. It's going to be so fantastic. I'm really feeding my oats, I say, you know, Baby, I've been looking at you for a long time, and boy, oh boy. And she looks at me, and goes, what? I can't believe it. The bottom one-third of the bottle, floating in this gloppy orange fluid, is filled with a drifting cloud of dead flies. There must have been 500 dead flies in that damn bottle. And I have drunk three-quarters of a bottle full of what looks like dead fly soup. Well, the heat, the flies, all of it hit me just this the nervousness of the date. Without any warning, it just came out of me. It just went, like that, all over the hood of the car. It ran down the inside of the door, onto the seat, and she is sitting in there. She, ah! she, <laughs> she looked at me with the kind of loathing that people look at when they see a run over skunk on the street. Well, I couldn't stop. I turned around and I made a run for the john. You know, the shell station there. I didn't make it. All over the, all over the driveway. The kid says, "Will you cut that out? Can't you wait till you get in the john?" Well, I don't have to tell you what kind of an afternoon we had. We proceeded to the Brookville Zoo after I cleaned the car up, washed off the hood. It was very fragrant. And ever since that time, I just, you well, know, whenever I open, it, maybe that's why people prefer stuff in cans. You can't see. up that glass and hold it to the sun and see that drifting crowd of flies and you know it was funny I never told her what was in that fly. well how can I say you know what can I say you know you can't tell her that it just just wasn't the right thing to say They're dead flies in in the orange and all the way to Brookfield Zoo and back she kept saying are you all right are you all right the second to the last date I had I don't think I'm impressed with Not really sure.